0: Welcome to When It Goes Wrong, the podcast exploring disasters, accidents, and times when everything falls apart. I'm Jasmine, your host, and on this episode, we will be discussing the eruption of White Island, a volcano in New Zealand which erupted in 2019. This resulted in the deaths of 22 people who were currently on a tour visiting the volcano. First of all, before I jump in, I just want to say, sorry that this is a week late, it's been very busy, and I was looking at my list and you know, I managed 16 episodes on time. So yes, hopefully this one isn't too late. I've actually managed to have some holidays, which is nice. Finally getting a break from the pandemic. So yeah, hopefully back on track after this one. And also, whilst I'm talking about other things, please do I keep meaning to say this early on. Please do follow me on Instagram. Um I'm at when it goes wrong pod. And I'd love to come and chat to you over there. Okay, so White Island is an island off the coast of the North Island in New Zealand. uh, It's near the Bay of Plenty, and the biggest local town is a town called Fakatane. And the island itself is actually the tip of a submarine volcano. So most of the volcano itself is under the surface, and there's just like the very top of the volcano on, on top, which then makes this tiny island. And... This has always been an active volcano, and it is, you know, produces steam, it produces gases, and it's, it's always been pretty, pretty active and, and, and doing stuff. And New Zealand, as you may know, is very geologically active in terms of volcanoes and earthquakes and other bits and pieces, and so they have a special monitoring service called GNS, and GNS monitor White Island all the time to really understand, you know, what what's happening to it. Is it close to an eruption? Is it is it stable? Anything like that? And they do that by they monitor it by webcam. They have like seismographs to to understand uh, earthquakes because you constant earthquakes in New Zealand, and they also microphones to kind of like hear different changes and. What GNS will do is it will give the volcano a rating between level 1 and level 5, and basically level 1 and level 2 means it's not erupting, and then level 3 onwards means it is erupting. And White Island was regularly given the uh, level of level 2, and that level indicates moderate to heightened volcanic unrest There is a potential for eruption hazards to occur. So that was the state of the island uh, at the time that we're talking about. So White Island itself was originally set up as a sulphur mine, uh, and this was in the 1900s. So sulphur was really important back then because it was used as an antibacterial agent, but they soon found out that the mineral on the island just wasn't pure enough uh, and and wasn't really able to be used in the ways they wanted it, and uh, they instead started using it in fertiliser. But the mine was actually really dangerous and not very profitable. It killed 10 mine workers in a mudslide and then eventually it shut in the 1930s. But the remains of the of the mine are still on the island and and they're kind of slowly rusting away because of all the acidic sulfur gases. And since then White Island has become a bit of a tourist spot. So it's a very popular was a very popular tourist destination for those visiting New Zealand and you could visit the island by boat or by a helicopter and basically they would take you on a nice you know scenic cruise off Fakatane to uh, or Tauranga to Wai Island and you could then go get off and have a walk around and and then go back basically and it was very impressive and actually, I was talking to my family about this and they, I haven't been to White Island, but my family have, uh, my mum and my grandparents have. And, it, you know, it was, <laughs> it was totally normal. It was like a super interesting uh, thing to do. And even though it is a volcano, it was generally seen as, as being really safe. And it's similar if you're familiar with New Zealand, with uh, a place called Rotorua, and Rotorua is also like very geothermically active, and lots of like bu- bubbling mud and geysers, and and lots of things like that that people really want to see. So it's a really interesting place to visit. This is where the whole discussion around safety, in you know, comparing the tourist destination versus how safe it is. And I found a good quote in an article, and it said uh, that was the whole idea of visiting white island it was about the thrill of feeling a little more alive by feeling a little closer to death all the while knowing that really you're in no more danger than you would be crossing a road and i thought that summed it up really well and that it is like adventure tourism but it's adventure tourism in terms of i you know i know this is a volcano but i equally think that it's gonna be fine because it is most of the time Yeah, when you're visiting the island, the boat would pull up to a jetty. There was one jetty on the island and basically from there, the groups would walk up. There's a collapsed crater wall where they can see like bubbling mud and steam before continuing up and meeting the top of the main crater and they can look down into an acid lake, uh, which has kind of like a crazy pH. After that, once they've seen the kind of top bit, the main bit of the volcano, they would walk down, they'd walk past the, the old mine and then would return to the boat or the helicopter and circle around for some amazing views of the island. And, you know, safety was really paramount to, to these visits for these tour companies and all the tourists would have some safety equipment. So they might wear like hard hats, uh, use a gas mask, that type of thing, have a bit of a safety briefing I also put here it's also home to a huge gannet colony which um, if you don't know what a gannet is it's a type of bird that's very popular in New Zealand and I remember many a holiday going to see the gannets so that's clearly why I wrote it. Um, So people maybe went to see White Island also to see the gannets. So White Island the volcano itself has had several eruptions and mostly were small and mostly they were made like just of steam escaping but there had been like quite a larger eruption a few years before but it was at night so it had been recorded and obviously like people could see in the morning so but because it was night no one had been impacted and it didn't really change anything people just kind of carried on as normal so I think in the back of people's minds they always thought an eruption would happen but they just continued on with it. And I think, to be honest, that's like very typical of New Zealand. Like if you live in Wellington, for example, like constantly on the news, it's like the next big earthquake like is about to hit Wellington. And they will talk about it all the time. But you just carry on your life because you, you don't know when it is and, and you, there's nothing you can do. It's a, it's a similar thing with here. Anyway, on the day of the eruption, there were several tours through a company called White Island Tours to the island. And like I said, the island was at alert level two. But in the October, uh, the levels of sulfur gas and tremors were, were really quite high, but no more high, you know, no higher than they had been in the past. And they had, White Island Tours had three tours for that day, three boats that were going to head over, and they were all staggered. So there was one leaving at 9.30, one leaving at 10.30, one leaving at 11.30, and The third boat of the day, there was the boat pilot, four guides who would conduct the tour on the island itself, and then 38 guests on this third boat that was going at 11.30. And the majority of the people on this trip uh, were actually Australian, because they were from, there was a cruise ship called the Ovation of the Seas, and that had docked nearby... And then they had all gone on this day trip to uh, White Island from the cruise ship. So actually, there were like there were some New Zealanders, but the majority were Australian or were were foreign tourists who were actually on the island that day. So at 2.10pm in the afternoon, it, the first two boats, the 9.30 and 10.30, 9.30 was on its way back, 10.30 had uh, the guests had left the island and were on the boat kind of circling the island itself. So at 2.10 it was estimated there were 47 people on the island, so 42 from that boat that I just mentioned, and then five who had arrived on a helicopter who had do, were doing a much smaller tour and, and had come over. Unfortunately, the volcano then erupted at 2.11, and it was what's called a phreatic eruption. And so I read, read a lot about volcanoes for this. And there are different types of eruptions, which I don't think I knew, but I think makes lots of sense. There are what you, like, in your head when you think of, like, a volcano erupting, when you're like, oh, you know, magma lava flowing down and engulfing everyone. It wasn't like that. This one was where basically the magma that was like under the surface in the volcano would heat water that was higher up and then the water would basically spontaneously turn into steam and explode. So it was more of like a steam eruption. Basically the steam just needed to be let out. But obviously the steam itself is very hot, very powerful and as the steam explodes it will take like things like rocks and other fragments with it and really, the danger here is really the heat and the like the acidity that is actually in that gas and that explosion. The other types uh, all involve magma. Uh, so the other two types of volcan- volcanic eruption uh, is either when gas causes uh, magma to compress or decompress uh, and then you get magma explosions. But yeah, in this case we're very much talking about a steam explosion. So at that time, at two eleven, that second boat that was on the island, the third boat that was on the island, the group on the land was split into two. Uh, so the group had been split, and some of the people were still walking. Were, were like quite in the middle of their tour. Basically, they were like right up on the crater itself. They weren't. They were. They were almost like looking into the into the eye of the explosion, and there were some like distance photos taken by other people and they the photos actually show like really relaxed people by the crater they weren't so i think it was very clear that there was no particular warning that this explosion was going to happen it's not like they were running away or anything they were just like there and fine Uh, so it must have just happened so quickly but then the other half of people that had finished the walking tour were actually waiting to to get back on the boat so they were on the jetty and were waiting on the jetty for for the rest of the people to come back and that's that's probably a good thing for those people that were on the jetty because it meant that uh, I think one of the guides basically was like get in the water and dive underneath. So some of them did manage to make it in the water, and thankfully that meant that they were okay because they could be protected by the water under under underneath whilst the explosion happened. And there's stories of them like underwater and these big waves of of steam and stuff you could kind of see them rolling on the surface above them and yeah sounds really horrendous but one of the the earlier boats of the 1030 boat was was actually still quite close to the island at this time and was was circling the island and so they saw everything that happened obviously and captured lots of like photos and videos so there's so much content out there of the volcano exploding and of the aftermath and this boat, once they knew that that this had happened and that people needed saving, that that boat like immediately turned around to go back and try and help people and try and recover them, especially the ones that were on the jetty that were waiting. And so when that boat got around it they soon saw that the island was just like covered in 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 ash in, in this like sulfur and this acid and there's some amazing photos where there was obviously that helicopter on the island and the helicopter was on a on a pedestal and the at the bottom of the mountain and the the helicopter is now like been put not only been pushed off the pedestal so it's like on a slant but like all of the rotor blades are like bent like 90 degrees down because clearly the force of the blast had just been so intense and then it's just like covered in dust uh, and it just totally gives you a feel for like how intense that blast must have been and how horrific it must have been for the people that were still on the island so those who had been by the jetty, then waited, uh, to, uh, waited rescue, and the boats came and and did that rescue mission. So they launched a rescue inflatable and and took them back. And that boat managed to get twenty three people on board, trying to get them them back and forth. And I think what some of the horrible stuff that I read about this, which I won't go into too much, but they had very terrible injuries, obviously. But they talk about. There being this this thing called like the Golden Hour. So if you do get really badly burnt, getting treatment in that first hour is like really essential. And often you may feel okay when you initially when it initially happens, but then you'll just kind of get worse and worse. So like, for example, if you have like inhalation burns, which a lot of them did, you would you would get worse over time so you wouldn't almost you, you'd, you might be okay at first and then suddenly just just yeah feel feel horrific so they got these 23 people on board but yeah a, a lot of them had really terrible injuries uh lots of burns like i said lots of breathing problems because they breathed in that air that was so hot but it also would have the sulfuric acid in there and just, you know, like, people on the boat weren't medical professionals. So there was, like, two people that were, like, oh, well, we knew first aid, so we went and helped, which is just, yeah, horrendous. But the whole point here was, like, these people needed to get back to to mainland and to hospital as quickly as possible. And this is where a little bit of the controversy comes in. So at this point, rescue teams were scrambled on, li- on land you know and they thought that they would fly out to the island pick people up and then fly them back because obviously the the quickest way to to move people off the island would be by helicopter rather than by boat but actually once these rescue teams were scrambled they were actually told to wait in fakatane they were not told like they weren't allowed to go out to the island because the the people in charge basically thought that the the danger was just too high the the risk of another eruption or they didn't know if it was still erupting but basically they said to the to the like search and rescue team no you're not allowed to go you need to wait for the boats to come back with people and that caused a lot of controversy which we'll come back to however two helicopter crews nearby who actually ran tours to the island did go and make these rescues so they did actually decide no no I'm. I'm gonna go. They make their entire living on White Island, so they are gonna get to the island and see what's happening. They know what the who you know. They know the different guides. They wanted to get out there, basically. So they. So these two helicopter crews did try and make a rescue, and they flew out to the island on three choppers and two or three, three choppers. I think, and they landed on the island, and then kind of strapped strapped their gas masks on and went in search of people. Went in search of of the people that weren't at the jetty, the people that were working that were walking up by the crater. And they generally they found twenty people. They were all in in a bit of a loose line, uh, going down from the crater. So they would clearly been on their way their way out. Uh, and most people uh, were unresponsive, uh, but some were talking and some were clearly alive. So they went and and checked on them and did everything that they could for them. And it was actually clear that someone had tried to do like some first aid and had tried to help. So they think that uh, some of the guides that said they did die actually before they died really made this like heroic attempt to go and help these people and and give them give them aid so a lot of the injured had gas masks on because they've been been put on by others uh, and it was clear that that they had been attempts at first aid in the few minutes before those people were then overcome by their own injuries and so the helicopters got the helicopter pilots got to the island and they were basically waiting for the rescue teams to come so that then they could help put them on the rescue choppers and then obviously the rescue choppers would be more equipped for managing injuries and and, and helping. But it was soon confirmed to them, like I said, that the rescue teams weren't coming uh, and they weren't allowed to go onto the island itself. And so this meant that the helicopter crews had to transfer the injured themselves and so what they they kind of assessed uh, the people that were there and they transferred 12 people back to the mainland who were somewhat alive but the other the other 8 they they left behind the one the ones who had sadly died. And the pilots wanted desperately at that point. Once they had ferried the twelve over to go back for the for the eight bodies that they had left, but again they were blocked. Uh, the authorities basically said the island again was too dangerous, and it's really tragic actually because after this, uh, the window to recover the bodies basically passed because the next day there was really heavy rain that came and hit the island. And they were they were taking satellite and and different images of the island, and they could see on the images that a mudslide hit where the bodies were be were waiting to be be collected. And actually, it washed two of the people out to sea, and they never found them again. So they just yeah totally missed that whole opportunity to actually go and 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 get those bodies back. Only four days later, did the authorities allow access to the island again uh, and so the military headed to the island and they recovered those six bodies that had been found so yeah of the 47 people on the island uh, at the time of the eruption 21 died uh 22 died sorry uh 24 were injured and then actually really tragically of the 24 of the 12 people that they helicoptered back 10 of them died so it clearly was just such awful awful luck if you were just in that last batch of people going on that final tour compared to if you've been on either the two boats before or even in the first half of that tour and had had gone up and come back just You know, it's one of those stories where you're like, you could be hit by a bus tomorrow. You know, it's just horrendous, horrendous luck. A lot of things have then happened in the aftermath of the White Island eruption. So there was quite a lot of analysis after the event to show that the eruption was unpredictable. There had been some changes, like I mentioned. There had been some differences in tremors and stuff. But those types of things had happened in the past and had never actually resulted in in an eruption it It shows really how we can predict you know we can monitor stuff as much as we can, same as earthquakes, right? We can monitor stuff and and think that we know what's going on, but at the end of the day it is very unpredictable as to as to when this is going to happen, and then also analysis after the day, there was just a lot of controversy about this decision, like I mentioned, not to fly over the rescuers, and this was undoubtedly influenced by Pike River. So Pike River is a mine explosion which happened in New Zealand very close to this the year before. And in that mine explosion, I think there were about 30 miners down in Pike River Mine when the the mine exploded and, and collapsed some of the tunnels in. And in that situation, again, the rescuers weren't allowed to go in. They were desperate to go in and try and rescue some of the men that were there. But there was a lot of fear that the mine would explode again and they weren't sure whether there would have been enough oxygen anyway to, to allow them to get there. Uh, and in the case of Pike River, the mine actually did end up exploding again. It exploded like four more times after that initial one. And I think that that probably had influenced potentially this decision not to go because they didn't want... It, they knew it could erupt again and, and if you know if in pike river they had sent the rescuers down and then it had exploded is is that an acceptable price in order to do the search and rescue it's a really really hard dilemma basically and pike river is really really tragic i would love to know if you would i i have been planning a episode on pike river for ages and i've read loads of books about it and I just probably just need to do it, but I, I, I don't know. I find Pike River just horrifically tragic because it was totally because of terrible mismanagement, like just terrible mismanagement, and it's one of those ones where it I find it so frustrating because it was so easily prevented by businesses taking care. Anyway, this isn't a Pike River episode, but if you would like a Pike River episode, do let me know, because yeah, it has been on my list for ages, and I do always think about doing it, and then for some reason, something else always gets, gets in my head first, so I will do that at some point. But yeah, so we think that that Pike River incident didn't, meant that they didn't want to go and, and rescue them. And so what New Zealand has, which a lot of other places don't have, so like in America, is they have this scheme called ACC, which stands for like accident compensation and the idea with ACC is that everyone pays into it and then it basically means that you can't sue for negligence so that you instead of being able to sue the you know the tall gut owners or whatever uh, they would all of the victims and all of the people impacted by this would get paid out by ACC and would get compensation for that accident and it's a really you know it's a really great scheme and it and it makes a lot of sense so what had happened is as a result of ACC uh, and as a result of a lot of ACC claims uh, New Zealand had set up a, a like a government department which oversees ACC called WorkSafe and WorkSafe are there to determine like health and safety rules and he- he- and regulate health and safety And what happened after this is that after this event happened, WorkSafe held an investigation into the the White Island uh, incident. And in November 2020, they filed charges against 13 different parties who were all involved in doing tours to the island. And so that included GNS, who monitored the volcano, and the National Emergency Management Agency. And this was seen as a very... I mean, this is super recent, and this was seen as a really bold move that a government agency would be raising charges against a other government agencies essentially, and then the private agencies as well, and then also against specific people that were involved in in running some of these agencies in some of, in terms of running some of these tours. And the charges relate to general practices of the organisation, and I I don't think any of that has become public in terms of these specific details yet, but they do say that the charges relate to things before the explosion and not to things specific during or after the explosion itself. There was a lot around how actually the helicopter pilots who went to save them went out and and did the rescue mission have been charged as part of this and there was a big petition to to try and and stop that from happening but in reality what WorkSafe was saying was that they were charging based on events before that. And so I won't go any more into it because it's still happening. Uh, It's making its way through the courts as we speak and so all the parties recently pled not guilty on the 26th of August. So we're talking like a week ago and i will be and maybe you will be interested to see what comes out of it and and especially when there is more information available as to exactly how and why they have led to these charges uh and what yeah what it means for them and what it means for for tourism in in new zealand even though acc was in place uh some of the passengers did end up suing specifically the passengers of the Ovation of the Sea, because the Ovation of the Sea was the cruise trip, they could sue through the US courts under maritime law, basically to say that the cruise company shouldn't have put on these uh, like day trips that, that were, were seen to be dangerous. So uh, yeah, there, there is some of that also still working through the courts as we speak. So that leads really nicely actually into what we learned, And the big one... Here is, I think there's just a really big impact from this on adventure tourism, especially in New Zealand. And I think that this hasn't come to the forefront because the pandemic, (laughs) because obviously there is a pandemic and New Zealand has, doesn't have any tourists because it's obviously closed its borders. And so the fact that, you know, their tourism industry is already decimated by COVID, but... That is, this will in future when when it does reopen, we all hope soon. It will have real impacts for adventure tourism because what, how, how after this, how do you determine what is an acceptable risk of the activities that they're doing, and how do you manage that risk? And especially in this case where where they are now getting charges laid against them, is this just going to be a case where risky activities just? don't happen because they're just too dangerous and because the outcome might be too dangerous and you know new zealand has so many areas like this so many areas like i said already of like geothermal activity but so many like risky activities you know bungee jumping skydiving <laughs> jets jets <laughs> The like the jet boats um like abseiling into the caves like all this i mean to be fair I make this podcast, clearly I'm not going to do any of them, but um, <laughs> other people will. And I know they're super popular and I and I, I do really wonder how this will impact that and, and what it means. It also really taught us that volcanoes are inherently risky. And actually I did a poll on my Instagram another shout out there um and people were quite half and half I, I asked whether people wanted to visit would want to visit an active volcano and whether they thought that gov- whether governments should let us visit an active volcano and people were pretty half and half actually as to whether they would and whether they wanted it regulated so i i think it will come back to this this risk level thing right when what how how far do you regulate and, and when do you regulate but To be honest, probably before I wrote this episode, I potentially would have gone and visited White Island. And now, I don't know if I would. But, yeah. Don't know. Would you tell me? Come back and tell me. Uh, Some of you already have, but I would love to hear after this episode what you think. And then, finally, what we learned was this. I think there's a lot of lessons here around rescue management and around search and rescue and around how... How do you manage that risk of going in and saving people versus not? Basically, how do you balance that? If if you are going to say if it's too dangerous, people shouldn't go in. Where where do you draw that line? You know, because that's going to have impacts for everything from you know firefighting to any other types of rescue. How do how do you know? And that links to everything we've talked about so far, like scuba diving rescuing in that, rescuing on mountains, all of this kind of stuff. How do you know when to go out and rescue someone versus when to stay stay in? And I think that it will have very interesting impacts on rescue management and, and what happens. And yeah, this is still a really fresh incident and a really horrifically tragic incident and one that I will be keeping up with. So in terms of resources I wanna call out. There was there is a sixty minute documentary called Terror on the Volcano. It's quite good. It's worth a watch. It's very Australian. It was made by Australia, Australia 60 Minutes, maybe, Uh, obviously, because a lot of the people on board were Australian, but it it brings it to life a lot because they use a lot of the footage from the people that were on the island itself. Uh, So like I mentioned, they were like on the the boat that went around. There were, of course, in this day and age, people like vlogging and and recording and stuff. And so there are lots of things like that. And and that documentary really does bring it together. Uh, And that is on Amazon Prime if you're in the UK. Uh, and the other one I wanted to shout out was there is a long read article on Outside Online, which I will link in the description. Uh, and that's a really great, Outside do excellent uh, long form articles. And this was a really, really good one. And it really goes into what happened and how it happened and the different people involved and all of the things I've, ta- I've talked about. So if you if you want to learn more, highly recommend uh, giving that article a read. So yeah, other than that, I'll pop the other uh, sources I used in the show notes as well. Uh, like I mentioned, love to hear what you thought, what you think about this, whether you would, wouldn't want to go on a volcano or not. And would also love any recommendations for future episodes. Like I said, I'm hoping to get back on some better better scheduling after this episode. Uh, once we've kind of got out of the the craziness of summer. Uh, So, yes, please do give me ideas uh, so that I can carry on. Like I mentioned, please do follow me on Instagram. I'm at whenitgoeswrongpod. And please do drop me an email. I'm I'm whenitgoeswrongpod at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you guys. And that's about it. So thank you very much.